0: You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Joining me today is Zakir Muhammad who is a board member of the ICFP, and Chris Tabir, who's the executive manager. Before we get started, um, welcome to the show, Zakir, and welcome, Chris.
1: Hi, good afternoon, Chad. Thanks so much for having us on the show this afternoon.
0: So, Keir, it seems like a lot is happening in the world of fraud and corruption. We're reading every day about what seems to be more and more evidence that there was, in fact, state capture. The battle is being won. Do you believe we finally turned the corner or is there still a lot that needs to be done?
1: Uh, Chad, thanks so much. I think you've made a valid point there. I've said that I think in the last two years at least. We're certainly starting to see the tight turn. The fact that we know about all of these governance failures, the fact that all of this evidence is coming out through state capture, is a testament to the fact that we're starting to see the tight turn. And we're starting to see a lot of large organizations in the public and the private sector pay a lot more attention to their compliance functions and to ensuring that they are that they have the necessary robust internal controls in place and that they're also starting to... Yeah, I think we're starting to see the tight turn, and I think we, we hopefully oh, yeah. in the next couple of months and over the next few years, we're going to be starting to see um a lot more robust measures taken up against those who've been sure. involved in irregular conduct in both the public and the private sector. I think mm-hmm. that it's giving us that glimpse of hope mm-hmm. that we've been wanting for many, many years now. Okay. I think as South Africans... Over the last five or ten years, we've always read about so much fraud and corruption in the public and the private sector. And to to a large extent, people have become so frustrated about it. And one of the questions I've always been asked is well when are we going to start reading the positive news when are we going to start seeing action being taken um and hopefully what we've been seeing in the last couple of months is going to start answering those questions where we are going to be see uh, where we are going to see people being taken to book um and hopefully that will also act as a deterrent against those who may even think um about getting involved in that kind of conduct
0: well thank you for that intro zakir it's very interesting to to hear from a professional such as yourself that uh, we do have um the need to be optimistic and things may be about to change. We're going to take a quick ad break. Before we do that, I just want to remind the listeners that we are broadcasting live. Our content is always live, and we do that to keep it relevant. We're going to take this break so that we can get uh, Chris on the line, and then we're going to continue our conversation with the two members of the Institute of Commercial Forensic Practitioners. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Hi-FM. Joining us on the line is Chris De Beer. He's the executive manager of the Institute of Commercial Forensic Practitioners. And we've already chatted to Zakir Mohamed, who's staying in the conversation, while we chat about the state of fraud and corruption in South Africa and how professional organizations are able to capacitate and provide the resources to fight this terrible scourge. Chris, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Jeff. Can you hear me?
0: We can hear you perfectly. Apologies for any technical glitches earlier. Chris, one of the most important things in South Africa is the fact that we, we have complex financial crimes occurring, but there doesn't seem to be sufficient people with the, with the resources, capacities, and knowledge to be able to fight this. What are we doing to capacitate the public at large to be able to assist in the investigation of crimes and most importantly to capacitate the private sector in preventing their organizations becoming a part of this endemic of fraud and corruption Chad, there's a number of
2: programs that we've been involved with um uh, the universities um we've got the university of pretoria U- university of south africa and also university is running uh, comprehensive programs um, that is aligned to best practices uh, all over the world. Uh, we're looking at the outcomes of the training every year and identify those critical areas that we need people to train on. So universities are involved and I think from the ICFP point of view we are driving that initiative.
0: Zakir, like is there enough involvement from the private sector in the fight against fraud and corruption? We all hear that there's a symbiotic relationship between the private sector and the public sector. We see examples such as Busasa, such as the Guptas, who were private organizations that somehow entrenched themselves with government officials to be able to plunder the public purse. How do, how do we as the private sector stand up and help in the fight against crime? And is the state willing to allow us to participate?
1: Yeah, I think Chris, uh, Chad, that's, that's quite a good point. I think to answer the first question, uh, whether there's enough involvement from the private sector, I think that, you know, private sector entities are starting to get a, a lot more involved. I think historically we've seen a lot of large corporations invest some money in having compliance function compliance functions, especially with the multinationals who are subject to legislation in various jurisdictions. Um, they've been quite good at having compliance functions, etc. But now what we're seeing is other organizations also coming on board because they've realized that when it comes to Issues of fraud and corruption. It's not just an issue of, you know, ensuring regulatory compliance. At the end of the day, issues of fraud and corruption do affect the bottom line of a particular organization. There's financial losses that you, that these organizations would suffer. There's a lot of money that would need to be spent investigating and dealing with issues once they are uncovered, um, and then there's also the reputational damage that an organization can suffer. And I think organizations are realizing this, and they're starting to get more and more. But I think on the whole, we can, there's always room for improvement, and there's always room for organizations to get more involved in the various initiatives that we do have in the country. Um, and I think that the private sector has a key role to play because they're the ones that have the resources um, that can assist with driving a lot of these measures that we've put in place um, and so yeah I think that you know there's there's a lot that can be done there, there is a lot that is being done but there's always room for improvement and there's always room to do more to assist the private uh, to, to assist in the fight against corruption and I think one particular point that I'd like to make in that is when it comes to whistleblowers because at the end of the day the whistleblowers are the individuals that have the courage, the determination and the principles to stand up and 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 report about these irregular incidents. And so if we see a lot more support being given to whistleblowers and to the training initiatives, I think we can go a long way in the fight against um, uh, irregular conduct in the public and the private sector.
0: Zakir, you raised a very interesting point, is the fact that whistleblowing in South Africa is critical because often things go unnoticed. They're so well-layered, they're so well-hidden that without a whistleblower's cooperation, we don't get to find out about it. We even have laws in South Africa to protect whistleblowers, such as the Protected Disclosures Act. Yet we've seen whistleblowers have become the target of those that they've exposed and it becomes difficult for them to become reemployed. How do we change this culture that whistleblowers are actually doing something so positive, so necessary that they should be treated as heroes rather than be treated as pariahs
1: yeah that's a question i get asked all the time and i think that you know, from a legislative perspective, we've got we've got world class pieces of legislation in South Africa. For us the issue is implementation and enforcement of the legislation, but at the same time it's a cultural issue, changing the cultural issue in South Africa, where we don't look at whistleblowers as tattletales or, you know, why are these people raising these issues, etc. I've always said to many of the organizations that I've worked with, I said at the end of the day, when you're at the top and you set the phone at the top, what you do need to realize is that Your whistleblowers are the people on the ground. They are the ones who... Uh, Can see the nooks and crannies In your business and they're the ones that can Identify the irregularities And you want to protect whistleblowers, you want to Encourage them because at the end of the day They can save your organization From reputational damage, they can Save your organization from losing Millions and millions in, in funds Through losses of fraud and theft And so it's always Shocking when we see whistleblowers Not being protected but I think it's creating Awareness and creating awareness Of the importance that whistleblowers Whistleblowers have, not just for an organization, but as a country as a whole, <clears throat> because then we'll see things starting to change. We'll see people being encouraged to come forward, um, knowing that, you know, culturally, they they will be supported by the organizations. They will be supported by society for doing the right thing.
0: Chris, working hand in hand with whistleblowers a lot of the time is Investigative journalists. And I've noticed that your organization, whenever it has a conference, gives a platform to investigative journalists. Uh, you had Mandy Weiner previously as a keynote speaker. This year, you have somebody like Paulie van Vey. In your opinion, because it's obvious that the ICFP recognizes the role played by investigative journalists, but do you think the public are as aware as they should be about the work that goes in to actually exposing these crimes and the risks that these investigative journalists and whistleblowers put themselves at?
2: These investigative journalists are fearless. Um, You spoke about Mandy and we've got Paulie this week, uh, this year. These people conduct very dangerous work. Um, We know that uh, their life has been threatened. Um, Some journalists have been followed. It's it's a work that I myself personally don't want to Uh, conduct. uh, I think uh, they've got uh, a very fearless uh, personality. Um, And I don't think the public exactly understands the risks they go through. So, like Zakir also said, we must celebrate uh, the whistleblowers. We should also celebrate the investigative journalists. It does such a a dangerous work.
0: Zakir, when one looks at the role of an investigative journalist, it's very similar to that of an internal auditor and a forensic investigator, yet the difference is that they are now making it public so that the public know what's going on. When we talk about the internal auditor, we talk about the forensic investigator that works for or is hired by a private organization, one doesn't realize the type of expertise that is needed to investigate a complex financial crime. Your organization deals specifically with this area of expertise. Can you explain to us a little bit about what a forensic investigator or an internal auditor dealing with matters of a criminal nature, what kind of um, understanding they should have of the law and what type of – Expertise is required in terms of qualifications.
1: Uh, thanks, Chad. Yeah, there's a lot of expertise that comes into play when when one is doing an investigation, and I think it's important for the listeners to to also understand what really goes into to an investigation. So there's a myriad of skills. I think you started with the the most important one is a detailed understanding of the law. At the end of the day the laws that you're looking at is all the laws relating to investigations and so those laws are varied. We're dealing with uh, certain criminal legislation, in particular the legislation dealing with um, bribery and corruption. We're dealing with whistleblower legislation, etc. But you also need to have a very detailed understanding of the rights entrenched in the constitution you also need to understand procedural matters um, so that when you do the investigation, you in Conducting that investigation, conducting investigation within the confines of the law Because what often happens is when investigators uncover irregular conduct Or one of the first things they will be challenged on um, by those found guilty of such Or, or those uh, found guilty of such incidents, they will attack the procedure And so that is the one skill an investigator needs to have The other skill is... <clears throat> more of a personality trait and more on the on the side of ensuring that you act objectively. So, yes, whilst internal auditors uh, that do investigations and investigators may be appointed by a particular organization, they need to act independently and objectively so that they find the facts, that they find the evidence, et cetera. And they also need to understand the various evidentiary um, laws in our country, the rules around evidence, et cetera. And then we're talking about uh, various different skills that you get in the forensic industry. And those are quite varied Um, So we've got various specialists So for example we've got individuals who Do investigations that have the legal skills And they have a detailed understanding of the law We've got forensic accountants And they have a detailed understanding Of the procedures and processes That accountants would follow When they're doing a complex financial investigation Then we've also got specialist investigators And they're very good at going out And looking for evidence etc And what often happens when you do A particular investigation is sometimes especially when you're dealing with a complex matter you may have um, you know a multidisciplinary team where you've got all of these skill sets working together um, so that each expert focus focuses on a particular area of the investigation so that um, all of the evidence is looked at carefully all of the processes and procedures are followed and so at the end of the day it depends on you know which particular investigative skill that you have but generally for all of these disciplines you um, Overall investigators need to have the skill of attention to detail, um, because when you're trying to uncover fraud, it really takes, um, a considered eye to look at documents, to look at the numbers, et cetera, to try and see how, um, you know, criminals have tried to hide what they've done. And I think what, what I always say to, to clients and individuals is that when it comes to Criminals, they do this as part of their living. You know, they've, they've seen it as a particular source of income. So they focus on this every single day and they're always trying to find new ways of hiding what they've done. And so a core skill of any forensic investigator is to always be on top of their game um, and look for the minutest details and always interrogate everything.
0: So, Zakir, one of the, the issues I have is that we have a lot of skills within the private sector that are not being utilized correctly. When it comes to money threat analysis, when it comes to looking at the layering in terms of money laundering, there is a skill set that is underutilized. Now, we saw the skill set was utilized by the state for a period of time during the anti-corruption task team era, where the SIU brought together people from The private sector specifically ordered companies to assist in these complex financial crimes, but budgets were then cut and the SIU had to let these contractors go. Do you see the need for the state to relook this and to bring back the private sector into the fold to work in these interagency task teams,
1: absolutely, I think in the private sector in south africa we 've got so many skilled professionals in the various disciplines that I spoke of, and I think it does work well um, what we see what we saw when Um, The investigating directorate had started off, Hermione Crania, um, uh, and the National Prosecuting Authority as well, had engaged um, various um, skilled professionals in, in the private sector to assist with a lot of the work that the NPA was doing. Um, in relation to state capture and i think that has certainly helped them a lot um in uncovering a lot of what they've uncovered so far so certainly from that perspective i know they've used that that same approach um, as you mentioned was used previously and i know it's definitely helped a lot with the state capture inquiry in dealing with the complex matters that have been uncovered in in collating a lot of the evidence that the investigating director and the npa have uncovered so so definitely i think that kind of Approach is to be encouraged, um, and I think that you know the more the state focuses on doing that, um, it has the benefit of dealing with the particular issues. But at the same time, it also has the benefit of you know upskilling individuals in the public sector as well.
0: Chris, when we talk about upskilling, there isn't much more of an upskill than the designation FPSA, because that shows that somebody has reached the pinnacle um, of their training in respect of being a recognized forensic practitioner but a lot of people are, are, are maybe unaware of the role that a forensic practitioner can play in the investigation of crime. Can you let our listeners know exactly what that designation FPSA means and how it can further the fight against fraud and corruption in South Africa by making use of these individuals with this expertise?
2: Chad, yeah, FPSA forensic practitioner has got six areas that they specialize in. So, although we haven't started uh, looking at the specialized, specific specialized areas, FBS is is a person that's a well-rounded individual that understands the legal side of uh, investigations. We've got forensic accountants. They, the, the FPs also understand the accounting side of things, the investiga- investigative side, uh, side of things. They look at uh, areas like ethics. But what's also important is looking forward and the society going to a digital um, era and going to... Uh, a new way of doing business, so uh, those Fps also look at areas uh, in the digital side, for instance, um, in our conference we're going to talk about um, the 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 Bitcoin area era and how that is investigated, and also look at ransomware and how a forensic practitioner FPSA can assist their clients in investigating those areas so it's a well uh, rounded individual. Um, but that person, although they are well-rounded in all those disciplines, they are also specialized in their specific area. Zakir, um,
0: uh, something interesting that Chris just touched on, of course, is crypto. Any idea why South Africa has seen two of the biggest crypto heists in history come out of our country when one looks at MTI and then one looks at AfriCrypt? What do you think created the scenario that South Africa would become infamous crypto heists?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that we i think it's human nature and i think it's it boils down to two things especially when it comes to dealing with um you know stuff in the uh, on the computer and over the networks etc so i think with cryptocurrency there's always i think there's a lot of hype around the amount of money that that one that one can make and i think every every human being has that inherent desire to to want to become wealthy and to try and get wealthy as quickly as possible and there's such an allure and temptation uh when it comes to cryptocurrency a lot of people have spoken about you know if you invest in cryptocurrency you can certainly see your wealth grow and that is definitely true uh, and we've seen a lot of people grow their wealth um, through cryptocurrency but whenever it comes to these kind of things it always lends itself to um, you know fraudsters finding a gap and finding an opportunity and when they do find that particular gap they informed they know what it is that they're doing they understand the technology etc but for the unsuspecting individual, who doesn't always understand the technicalities, doesn't always understand the technology that we're dealing with, you know, they can become easy victims. And I think that is that that could be a key driving factor behind it is the. Um, you know, not being fully informed, not looking at the red flags, not conducting enough of a due diligence into where you're investing your money. And I've I've certainly seen a lot of cases. I've spoken to a lot of individuals who have lost hundreds of thousands of rands through online scams. So not just crypto, crypto cryptocurrency, but online scams as well. And I think that cryptocurrency is just quite a large, massive example. Um, of how people have been scammed um, online. And I think that we cloud our judgment sometimes. We get the excitement of, you know, trying to make uh, more money um, and increase our bottom line. Um, and when that happens, we, and I think it's human nature, we sometimes then throw out caution. Uh, we throw caution to the wind and we say, we're going to put everything in this um, and we're going to sit happy and we're going to hopefully, once COVID is all done, enjoy our life uh, retiring in the Bahamas, et cetera. And I think that user behavior is a key driving factor. And, you know, I've spoken about what the issue would be. But I think what's important for all of our listeners is that whenever you're dealing with something, whether it be online or offline, always, always do your research and do your homework before you invest in anything.
0: Coming up, we're going to be chatting about the upcoming ICFP conference and more importantly, some of the interesting um, topics up for discussion. You're listening to the confidential brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting to the executives of the ICFP, which is the Institute of Commercial Forensic Practitioners, Krista Beer, the Executive Manager, and Zakir Mohammed, who is a board member, about their upcoming conference. Before we went to break, we spoke about cryptocurrency and South Africa's got this horrendous reputation as having the biggest crypto heist in history, Murray Trading International. Um, Now we have AfriCrypt, we've had BTC Global, and we've had companies like Presidium and Imaginar that have literally stolen billions upon billions of dollars. Not rands, dollars. Tris, one of the topics coming up at the conference is going to be around cryptocurrency and digital currency. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Chad, uh, like you said, MTI, American Trading International, AfriCrypt, two of the biggest... uh, crypto scams in the last uh, 12 months. In both of those cases, Johan Steinberg, I mean, we're not sure he is, but evolving with a lot of uh, Bitcoin specifically. And then AfriCrypt, uh, were only made aware of this uh, fraud a few weeks ago. And, and the idea of the conference and that specific topic, cryptocurrencies, is to equip our investigators with the knowledge and skills to start um, doing research and 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 learning and development of their skills so they can investigate crypto scams in the future. Now we've got very well equipped specialized technologies in South Africa, and and that's what we're going to talk about. It's it's a technology that can follow the wallets between the movements, and uh, well, we need the assistance of the banks to. Uh, get uh, these crypto assets back into South Africa but it's a critical um, and a forward-looking initiative and we need to train our investigators in this technology we all know that uh, central central bank currencies digital currencies currencies are are being talked about around the world I know China And some other countries has already adopted this, this technology. So it's going to change the way we do business. Exactly.
0: With changing the way to do business comes an opportunity for scammers, con artists and fraudsters who use this change to be able to confuse people. Now, I must be honest with you. I'm one of those people that's very confused when it comes to cryptocurrency and how it works. But when one looks at it simplistically and one looks at the definitions of a fraud and the elements used in a fraud, it becomes more simple. Why do you think people as a whole have been taken so easily in the last two years when it comes to things like crypto and other types of frauds, when we've seen South Africans traditionally being very conservative when it comes to investing?
1: Yeah, I think, Chris, uh, Chad, when it comes to... When it comes to issues of fraud, it's something that I've always thought about. I think for us that work and in in the fraud industry, forensic practitioners, et cetera, fraud is top of mind for us all the time. And so often you would find that our guard is a little bit higher um, because we're dealing with these incidents for our clients, we're doing these investigations, et cetera. But I think for the ordinary person in the public, you know, Fraud is not always top of mind we 're dealing with our daily lives there 's a lot of pressures at work there 's a lot of pressures in our families or whatever the case may be so there 's a lot that 's going on and that is where uh, fraudsters try to capitalize and target individuals um, they do that through making this whole alluring thing about how somebody 's life is going to change or how somebody 's going to grow their wealth et etc and when that temptation comes the ordinary individuals not necessarily going to think about fraud and that sort of thing. It's not necessarily going to be top of mind. And so they're going to be focused a lot more on the technicalities or they're going to focus a lot more on what returns they can get. And often what happens is these fraudsters also sometimes create a sense of urgency. So they will say, for example, you need to invest quickly uh, because if you don't invest today or if you don't invest by tomorrow, you're going to actually lose out on a deal of a lifetime. And so you've now got an individual who is now thinking, okay, well, I don't want to lose out on this. And so I'm going to invest my money, uh, not realizing that actually... Um, if it's worth investing in, it's worth actually taking the time to do your research, to do your, to do your background checks, to understand what it is that you're investing in, to understand who you're handing your money over to, etc. And so that is how a lot of these fraudsters do catch um, a lot of unsus- unsus- unsuspecting people, because you know, as we live our daily lives, we're not always necessarily thinking about fraud and fraudulent issues, etc. There's just so much going on in our minds, and so when these opportunities come, it's something else that we're thinking about. But it's also it also these frauds just create so much urgency around it and panic that people then just decide, okay, I'm just going to do it. Everything seems legit, everything seems professional, but they don't actually then identify the red flags that may actually be there if one just takes a step back and, and looks at everything very carefully. Um, so urgency is, and, I, and I'm using the word urgent a lot because in a lot of matters that I've dealt with, um, it's when fraudsters create a sense of urgency. That is how they target people very quickly, and that is how they tend to get away with these
0: particular scams. Chris, we're almost done for time. How do our listeners find out more about the ICFP in the upcoming conference?
2: Chad, uh, they can just visit our website, uh, www.icfp.co.za. All the details will be found there. Jan, yeah, are looking forward to the conference. Um, we've got some exciting speakers, exciting topics uh, laying ahead of us. Um, so, yeah, and thanks for your support as well, Chad.
0: Zakir, last question for the day, and it's a question I think most of our listeners want to, to hear the answer to. Is the state and the private sector taking fraud and corruption more seriously, and are we seeing people with the right qualifications now being employed in key positions to be able to curb this endemic that struck our country?
1: Yes, I think that's a very good question, and I think the answer to that question is, we are starting to see, uh, the state and the private sector pay a lot more attention. Um, and I think a lot of that has been driven by how vociferous the media has been in bringing a lot of these issues into the public limelight, um, and how they've reported on all of these incidents. It's really got both the public and the private sector into a position where they do want to pay more attention to that and I think they're understanding that if we get the wrong people um into the top positions we, we're really going to do ourselves a disservice and damage our particular organisations so I think that the tide is turning and I think it's an area that the boards of many companies, the heads of public um, sector institutions are starting to pay attention to because they've seen what damage it's done to a lot of our key organisations in South Africa. My
0: guest today Christa Beer and Zakir Mohammed from the Institute of Commercial Forensic Practitioners. The conference is taking place in the next week. It's virtual. It's over two days. It's very insightful and is going to be covering aspects of fraud and corruption in both the public and private sector, with one of the keynote speakers being the investigative journalist Pauli Van You'll find out more at the ICFP. And we'll obviously be putting everything up on the confidential brief radio station page on Facebook and on the website.